Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Hey guys, I'm Jen. And I'm Amanda. And And you're you're listening listening to Fathomless. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Yes, it is morning. We have coffee. It's chilly and wintry, but we still have our live audience. Yes, we have Susie with us here, judging us along the way. Jen's guest room. (laughs) She's like, no, I'm not judging. No, it's just mind our own business, reading Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, in Spanish. Which honestly, why not? Yeah, we actually had a. We were at we were at Barnes and Noble in El Paso, and Andrew walked by it because we were in the Spanish book section. And uh, he's like, I gotta get this for Susie. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So, it's a good movie. I haven't read the book, but I should. Do you read Spanish? No. I took five years of French, and biggest thing that I can say is je ne sais pas, which means I do not know. Okay. Well, then it you is... can't borrow Susie's version. No. Sorry. Sorry, Susie. No. I should learn Spanish, though. Honestly, it would be very useful. Yeah, my mother, we were just talking, my mother-in-law is, like, expecting me to learn Spanish by, like, May, by the time she comes to the wedding, and I'm just like, (gasps) four months to learn a new language? I got a lot of shit to do in four months. I got other wedding shit to worry about, but (laughs) at least, like, I don't want to disappoint the mother-in-law. Maybe, like, practice, like, a certain phrase? No, there's, like, apps that, I have an app, but, like, you have to, like, pay for it. Oh, yeah. It's, like, not the cheapest thing. Probably the cheapest thing, but I'm like, uh, I think it equivalents like six or seven bucks a month. I guess. So I was trying to get one of those like Spanish for dummies books from like. Uh, I think they still like they have. Those oh, they books, have like, you know, whatever for dummies. Yeah. in like, every category. Exactly. So. Like, you like learn any language that way, maybe. I'll figure it out. Get the bare bones going. You know. So. So today. So. We're not talking about Jed learning so. Spanish. <laughs> we are. You sure? No, we're actually going to be talking about a horrible and senseless murder of 15-year-old Tracy Gilpin. Yeah, bringing the mood down real hard Yeah, there. you're just like, we're not going to be doing this lighthearted thing. We're going to be talking about D. Just depression, depression. Well, you've be been sad. talking about doing this case since we uh, were making our initial podcast episode list before the podcast even started this case always really hit home for me because uh it's really close to my hometown i grew up in plimpton massachusetts kingston is right next door and they also actually go to school together kingston plimpton and halifax have one big middle school and high school because the towns are so small they don't really have enough for their own high school you know um so she went to the high school that i actually graduated from and she lived in rocky nook which is a little neighborhood in Kingston. It's right on, like, the Kingston-Plymouth line, right on the coast. And the night she disappeared, she was actually at a Cumberland Farms on Route 3A, right on the town line. And when I was a teenager, I used to walk there all the time. It's not there anymore. Like we were saying earlier today, it's like a... It's across the street and a yeah, new building. Yeah, there's a new building across the street that's a new Cumbies, but the old building is still across the street it was abandoned for a while and now it's like a car dealership it's a limo service oh it's like the same limo service they were across the street from where they're 
yeah. new location is now, but they had like a tiny little like one room. Yeah. So they just kind of like changed it all up. But I used to, my friend Elizabeth lived in the same area and we used to walk to that same Humvee's like, you know, midnight and get snacks and, you know, cigarettes. A lot of people walk along that road Sorry, and it's yeah. like right, yeah, it's right <laughs> near Rocky Nook and I love Rocky Nook. Yeah. It's cruise down there because they have a nice lookout at the ocean and. It is, like, Grey's Beach is right there, so it's really pretty. And the first time I heard this case, it was still unsolved at the time. And my mind was just kind of blown, you know, even as a teenager, because this happened in 1986, and here I am, you know, like two decades later doing the same stuff, walking those same streets, hanging out, going to parties in the same neighborhood, and, you know, it just, like, was one of those. It could have been been anyone you knew. It could have been me. It could have been one of my friends. It was a different time or a different place. So... It's always really just kind of, like, it hit home for me always, and it was one of those cases that I was fascinated by really early on. So when we started doing this, I definitely wanted to cover it. Not many podcasts cover it. Uh, and it did recently get solved in 2018, so that just makes it even, you know, even crazier of a story. Yeah, I, like, knew that there was, like, a girl that went missing from Kingston, yeah. but, like, and I never knew the details. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Like, I feel like people hear both of those stories, too. You hear about, like, people being found in Miles Standish. You hear about, like, the girls who went missing in Kingston. Because there's another case that you have for us next week, actually. Yeah, so we're going to do back-to-back cases. Yeah. Two girls that went missing and were murdered from Kingston, Massachusetts. Um, the case that I'm doing, it it's solved, but it wasn't in the same part of Kingston. It was more... Like up the road towards the yeah, it was more in like the area. center of town. Yeah, it was more than... in the center of town. Um, but she was around the same age as Tracy, and it happened just a few years after her. So, and I heard about that case because I think some one of my old coworkers mentioned it, and they were like, "Yeah, it's this house, like right here." Like one of the your coworkers at the village. Yeah, from the village, and because cool. we would just always drive around the residents yeah, so in that area. Around. Yeah. yeah. And she told me about it and pointed out the house, and I didn't really know anything about it until I oh, shit. And researched it. So that'll be the next episode. Yeah. But. And I do have another kind of cool connection to this case. Uh, my amazing sister-in-law, Megan, who I know is going to listen to this, so shout out to Megan. I love you. You're awesome. Um, she actually helped me out with this case a little bit because her father, James, and her uncles, like her father's brothers, grew up in the area around the same time and they have a connection to this case hmm. and uh yeah there's so a, you, you know, were able to get some like inside yeah, info. Some, some like inside info not super inside but her um her dad gave her a bunch of information about the case which she brought over to me so that's pretty cool very helpful so yeah. i thought that was kind of cool that you know small world you yeah know? so unfortunately there isn't a ton of personal life information about tracy before the tragedy tragedy Tragedy. Tragedy. Worked out hard. Hagrity. <laughs> what I almost said. I swear <laughs> to God, I almost did. Um, but I do have the basics. So let's just get into it. Tracy L. Gilpin was born on January 25th, 1971. She was incredibly kind and funny. She had a sister named Carrie, who actually has a big, uh, big part in this investigation. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, and like I said, she grew up in the Kingston area of Rocky Nook, which is right on the Kingston-Plymouth line, located next to Gray's Beach. It's kind of set a little ways off from the main road. Main road. Yeah. Um, so, you know, 
nobody's really going down there unless they you really are going to see down somebody there. down there, or, you know. Or you're like live me down there. and like that little beach lookout spot yeah. and you just want to drive by. Exactly. But you would you have to like go there a couple times to really know like I would hang where out, it is. I would hang out there um, as a kid because like my high school boyfriend would play baseball at that little field they have yeah. in the middle of the neighborhood. So, yeah, it's a nice little area. Yeah, yeah, I like it down there. And, yeah, it's a small neighborhood, mostly single-family homes. I don't know if you knew this, but they're actually, it used to be a resort neighborhood back in, like, its early years, in, like, the 40s and 50s, and uh, was just, like, beach cottages for, like, fancy people. Yeah. And then, eventually, you know, it all sold out just to single-family homes, and it's a really nice little area, but... Very close-knit neighborhood. Even when I was a kid, you could tell there was, like, a big family vibe. Just all throughout that neighborhood, all of the kids were just always out, you know, in each other's houses, going back and forth. It was uh, it's very just, like, strong community, lots of, like, loyalty. It's really nice. Very comforting. And so Tracy kind of just grew up with that close-knit family vibe, all of the friends in the neighborhood, family, all of that. Uh, this tragedy that we're going to talk about today does begin on October 1st, 1986, and that's kind of when you can see most of our information is from the beginning of that day. So Tracy was 15 years old at this time, and she had just come home from babysitting. She had just gotten paid, and she asked her mother if it would be okay if she went to a party that was going on in the neighborhood with some friends. So this party was being thrown by a woman who was in, like, her 20s, despite being like a little bit older than everyone else she still hung out with like all the teenagers in the neighborhood and not this weird was, at all yeah i guess i guess so i mean mm-hmm. it was the 80s i guess it was a different time you know yeah, you never know okay but tracy's mother was apparently fine with her going i guess this was like a common thing that the kids did in the neighborhood and this was a school night which uh it was like a wednesday night i looked back and saw so I guess this was just, you know, kind of like a normal thing. They would go hang out, you know, and then she'd be home around like 11 p.m. and would go to school the next day. Okay. So my parents have not had allowed that when I was in high school. I mean, it's, I had 15, but again, I guess times were times were a little different. A little different. And I mean, it was October, so it was like the beginning of the school year. Maybe it was, you know, maybe they were still just having some summer fun, but not really. You never know. But she, anyway, her mother said yes. So she went off to hang with some friends, and that was the last time that her family actually saw her alive. So around 10.30 p.m., it was said that Tracy left that party with a couple of friends, but then she split off with them in the neighborhood, and she went off to buy a pack of cigarettes at Cumberland Farms. So she walked to Cumbies by herself. And the Cumberland Farms is only a 10-minute walk from Rocky Nook mm-hmm. to that spot. Oh, yeah, it's, like, right there. It's really not bad. Uh, so, and I mean, like, I've actually, like I said, I've made that journey myself. So it's not a terrible walk. While Tracy was at the store, she did buy a pack of cigarettes. And it was known that she used the payphone to call her friend who was hosting the party and asked if she could come pick her up at Cumbies. But her friend said that she could not leave the party at that time. So she said, that's fine started walking back to the nook by herself. What time was this at? Um, so she left the party at 10.30. They don't have an exact time, so it was probably around, like, maybe, like, 11, 11.30-ish. Okay. Sometime in that time frame. Um, and it wasn't until about 32 years later in 2018 that they, like, well, at that time, 
they figured that this was the last time anyone saw Tracy. 32 years later in 2018, we find out that that's not exactly the case. Um, according to Tracy's family, her not coming home that night didn't cause immediate panic. Sometimes she would sleep at her friend's house. So they kind of assumed must have gotten too late. So they crashed there and then all got on the bus for school in the morning. It wasn't until later on that day when all of Tracy's friends started talking and they realized that nobody had seen Tracy since she left the party that night before. And that's... That's scary. That is when the yeah. panic started setting in and they decided to put in a missing person report and the search kind of began. Um, roughly three weeks after the disappearance, Tracy Gilpin um, was found about 11 miles away in Plymouth, Massachusetts in Miles Standish State Forest. Which is like... Huge. Yes, it's huge. So, yeah. I used to drive through the state forest. Just like, it's a fun little route to go from like one part of Harvard to one part of Plymouth. Oh, yeah. Um, without having to go like up, down, around all the major highways. Yeah. So, it's nice. Oh, oh it's God. a nice little I route. can't imagine like being out there at night. Like, don't even want to think about it. Go on. Oh, yeah. So, a woman was actually walking her dog in the Miles Standish State Forest. When she stopped to pick some wildflowers in the woods, she came across the grizzly discovery. Hidden under some brush and leaves was a badly decomposing body of what looked like a young woman. Her face was covered by a large rock that had crushed her skull. So, <clears throat> using dental records and the jewelry and personal belongings found at the scene, they were able to determine that this was Tracy. And police were able to collect some kind of DNA samples at the scene because um, in 2018 they had they were collecting DNA to test against like rule people out as suspects. I couldn't find exactly what kind of DNA evidence they found, um, but obviously there was something substantial that they found at the scene to collect. Fortunately, in the 80s, testing was still kind of in its infancy, so they didn't have much much to go off at the time because yeah. the case got pretty cold fairly quick mm -hmm. which is really sad um like i said nobody really knew what had happened to tracy the last time she was seen was in that cumbies around 10 30 maybe 11 did they have cameras and at that time in the cumbies no but um the person working did like say like yes i saw the person they bought like, cigarettes they used pay, pay phone and okay. left and that was kind of he was like the last person to see her alive yeah and that was kind of it. Um, so, unfortunately, where they did have a small amount of DNA, they had to be very careful with it because in that time, any type of testing with DNA evidence, you'd end up using or kind of destroying the sample while testing. Yeah. So you had to be really careful of what, when you were going to test it, who you were going to test it against. You had to have, you know, really, really solid plan before mm -hmm. you went ahead and um, so with little to no information regarding her whereabouts after 10 p.m., police were really unable to determine how Tracy ended up 11 miles away in a state forest with, you know, blunt force trauma to her head and massive skull fractures. Yeah. Um, it wasn't long before the case began to grow cold. However, Tracy's family never gave up hope. They always were looking for answers, and the case did remain open for years. In 1994, Tracy's sister, Carrie Gilpin, Joined the Massachusetts State Police Force. Really? Yeah. To help solve the case? Yep. So she, I love when people do that. She joined 
with the hopes that one day she might be able to put her sister's killer behind bars or at least find some kind of answer. Um, she responded to thousands of crimes, including the Boston Marathon bombing of 2013. And eventually she became colonel and slash like superintendent of the Massachusetts State Police Force in 2017. Yeah, so she did Perry the damn was a, thing. She's a boss ass bitch. Go Perry. Seriously. Um, which is around the same time that the cold case started to heat up a bit. In early 2018, Mass State Police received an anonymous tip regarding the night of October 1st, 1986. Apparently, there was another party in the area that police were not aware of until this tip came in. And it wasn't 100% confirmed if Tracy was at this party or not, but the tip was apparently significant enough that investigators started looking into this party and the attendees of the party. And my sister Meg, my sister-in-law Megan, her father James and his brothers, like I said before, grew up in this area. And one of Megan's uncles, who's now at this time deceased, unfortunately, was actually at that party. Oh. So in order to rule him out as a suspect, they actually contacted her father, requesting a DNA sample to get like a familial DNA sample. Yeah. So that they wouldn't have to, you know, exhume a body and test that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which he obviously willingly gave. He was ruled out as a suspect. But her other uncle had some other information about that same party. And there was another person at that party who was known in the area to be a really weird dude. And his name was Michael Hand. Okay. And was he like the same age as all these kids at the time? Or Michael was he like one of the Hand older... was 29. Oh, and he was hanging out with a bunch of teenagers. Yes. Oh, my God. And he was actually living in Kingston at the time of the murders, but now in 2018, he was living in Troutman, North Carolina, which, guess what county it's in? Iredell County! Oh, my God. Iredell County. That's where Jen's parents live. Yeah, so we always have to yeah. say it that way. Yes, we do. I'm so sorry to any Southern listeners who just uh, canceled and unsubscribed. <laughs> Iredell County. But yeah, so he was from Iredell County. Oh, God. Troutman. I'm going to look how far that is from your parents parents, yeah so um there was enough evidence that police wanted to go and have a chat with michael hand so two investigators traveled to north carolina they requested an interview and some dna samples they ended up interviewing him twice and during these interviews hand made some incriminating statements that placed him in the area of rocky nook that night and in the area of plymouth mile standish state forest area later on that evening as Hmm. well He also went to see his local pastor, David Troutman, between these two interviews, where he made some incriminating comments as well, bad enough that the pastor felt the need to contact authorities. Okay. And also, um, the town in North Carolina is literally the town just south of your parents' land. Ooh. Yeah. Creepy. We'll have to visit Troutman the next time to drive around. Weird. Um, As of... So, in March of 2018, Michael Hand was arrested for the kidnapping and murder of Tracy Gilpin. How old is he at this point? He is, oh my god, he's old and sturdy. He was 29 and 86. He's like in his 60s. Oh yeah, because it was like 30 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so as of August 2022, he was still awaiting trial in Massachusetts. Of course, there have been some legal complications as well. Um, the supposed confession from one of the interviews and the confession to his pastor have been deemed inadmissible 
because it said that they were coerced confessions. So there was this thing that I saw in a couple of the articles where they fall under the, like, I guess they fall under the, like, admissible, like, inadmissible points of this thing called the cat out of the bag doctrine. So, so you can admit something, like, in church, but it can't be used in court. So basically what the cat out of the bag doctrine, from what I could find like online on lawpipe.com, it said it's a theory that persists that once a confession is obtained illegally, that any subsequent statements made after that may have been tainted by the illegality of the first inadmissible statement. So because they believe that in one of those interviews, uh, it was a coerced confession, that's considered inadmissible. He went to talk to his pastor after that interview and then admitted, made some other incriminating statements. So because it was after that first inadmissible interview, it or inadmissible count. interview, it does not count because it's tainted by that first coerced confession. So is he... Like the cat was already out of the bag, so now he was just spewing stuff out. Is he out on bail or is he... No, he's okay. still in jail. He's still awaiting trial. He was held without bail. Okay. So and he wasn't able to post a bail. What's the... How did, how did they connect him to being in the state forest later that night? Did they say how? They don't have. So I guess... Well, no, was, obviously not cell phone records. So I... Track that there was one article that I... It was like wickedlocal.com. So you never know how accurate it is. But they said that Michael Hand allegedly stated that he had followed Tracy and another man into the forest because he saw Tracy being taken in there by somebody else. I guess another statement he made was that he took Tracy into the forest and then dropped a 73-pound boulder onto her head. So two completely different stories. Yes, because he kept kind of flip-flopping back and forth. Um, And they're not, like I say, allegedly, because at the point they're still saying that some of those interviews they believe that he was, they used coercive tactics to get a confession, now, did which they, isn't allowed. Did they test that DNA yet? I'm not entirely. I didn't see anything that said that they tested so it really and confirmed. It's still, an, it's still an active trial, so I think they're holding a lot of it like away from the public so that they can hopefully get a jury that, you know. Do they have a trial date set? No. So, well, I, ahead of me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um. He also tried to pin the murder on another killer in the Kingston area, which was Henry Meinholz. Don't know if that's how you say it. Meinholz? Meinholz. I was going to ask you how it was pronounced. It's M-E-I-N-H-O-L-Z. I want to say Meinholz. Yeah. Meinholz. Exactly. Sounds right. Uh, Who has been convicted of the killing of Melissa Benoit. That sounds familiar. Yeah, sounds familiar. That may be uh, who we're talking about next week. Yeah, uh, which it is we're talking about next week. <laughs> obviously, the the police have found zero connection between those two things, so they don't believe that they have anything to do with each other. So I that's mean, just Michael trying to kind of cover his own behind. Yeah, just because they knew that this guy had murdered another girl not too long after yeah. Tracy disappeared. Yeah, and then the most recent article I found was um, in October of this year. It said that he's still currently being held without bail, awaiting trial. The only update was that Pastor Troutman's statements would be deemed inadmissible due to that cat's out of the bag doctrine, and that the judge at that time did not set any court date. He just said, we're not allowed to use these statements, bang the gavel, and was like, all right. It is believed that 
it's going to go to trial in 2023, but they just haven't given a date yet. Well, I hope they have, like, I hope they save this evidence that they can test because. We'll see. I mean, now I like they that's... don't have to worry about it. You can use much smaller samples yeah, to yeah, test yeah. than you could back in, like, the 80s and even the 90s. Um, but they had a, they had enough to arrest him. So it wasn't just the incriminating statements. There must have been other things. Uh, unfortunately, like I said, most of the articles, it's very vague about that stuff. And I feel like it's because they're trying to keep as much out of the public's eye as they can so that they can have a fair trial since it's been so many years. They really have to kind of, you know, work with the circumstantial and the direct evidence that they have and just do the best that they can. Well, I hope they can uh, get this I hope guy so if he did it. I mean, if his story keeps switching up, then... Yeah. It's just flopping all over like a fish. I did also want to mention that in 2019, Terry Gilpin retired from her role as superintendent of the Massachusetts State Police after 25 years of service. Which, I think that's kind of nice that she was able to... I mean, she did so much. She had an amazing career. Found her sister's murderer and then was able to kind of retire from her job with some peace of mind. Yeah. That not only did she help get justice for her sister, but thousands of other cases that she worked on. Well, I hate to say, but it's not it's not over yet, but hopefully not over that yet, justice but is seen through. We will see how it goes. Mr. Mr. Hand. Mr. Hand. And I will, I'll show you a picture of him. He looks like a foot. Like a sewer goblin? Yeah. Yeah. He, like, he looks... So gross. Yeah, stay away from me, buddy. Is he in jail up here? Yes. Where? I, I keep saying Plymouth District Attorney's Office is the one who's doing the suing, so he might actually be in Plymouth County Jail. Yeah, he might. But it might not be because I know the Massachusetts State Police are also involved. So if he's in a state facility, he's probably in, like, Walpole. Mm-hmm. That's still open anymore. I think that's shutting th- down. I don't know. Um, that's where um, or, uh, Mr. Henry Meinhold was sent oh. to yeah i know Souza baranowski i think is how you say it is the other maximum no facility idea. it's like up in sharon um but or could be in bridgewater but i don't know didn't really say i don't think he'd be in bridgewater you're not held in bridgewater unless you unless you're in the state hospital or you're a pedophile yeah pretty much i used to date a co so yeah, he works I got there, the ins. So. I, I, got, I got the inside info. <laughs> inside info. It's been like eight years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, but that is it. That is the sad story of Tracy Gilpin. I'm sad that there's not much more information. There really isn't. I'm hoping that like we'll be able to do a true crime news and update sometime next year when they actually have oh, a yeah. trial. We'll um stay on top of it and once like a trial happens, we'll Yeah. Keep updating so with that. One of uh one of Megan's uncles, I didn't want to say any names, but he's actually going to be in the trial as a really? character witness. So I might have some might more be able insider to get the date in- from wow. yeah, might have some more insider info. You're but just the inside girl. I am. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't wanna I don't wanna like use anyone's names because it is still in an ongoing investigation. But yeah, that's okay. You don't need no names. We know when he has a court date, I'll let you guys know. All right. Well, that's it. That's it. So I hope you guys enjoyed and we hope you stay spooky. Stay scary. And stay, stay safe. safe. See ya.